Hello and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and wank about its woeful adaptation, Game of Thrones. This is where being a book snob is a good thing. is Kylie, and here with me is Julia. Hey everyone! The two of us write for TheFundamentals.com, bringing you fundamentally sound fandom analysis. As you glean from our introduction, we love George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. Yes, and so- we do. What? Yes, we do. Like, enough to have a podcast about it. Exactly. Called Unabashed Book Snobbery. Imagine such a world. And yes. though we certainly bemoan its blaspheming adaptation, <laughs> um, and we actually just wrote a piece that I'll link, which is basically why Game of Thrones is such a bad show, the 101 course. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a course because it's like 8,000 words. Yeah, it's a course. <sighs> I think we got into 102 or 201 territory, but that's fine. Uh this episode, we are actually just going to be talking about A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, mm-hmm. which makes us incredibly happy, and it could also make us pretend that Game of Thrones is not coming back in six weeks. So that'd be great. Oh my god, I wish I hadn't said that. I know. So we put out a poll, what What do you guys want to hear us talk about? And the winner, by quite a, quite a good number of votes, was Sansa Stark, the book character. Uh, this is one that's been requested a lot, and... As much as Julie and I have always, always, always gushed about Ariane's character, Sansa, for me, is at least a very, very close number two. She's always She was been... definitely your first love, right? She was my series. first, yeah. So basically what happened was I read these books. I didn't think too deeply on them. I began rereading pieces of it, like, because I, I learned about R plus L equals J. So I began to, like, go back and look at certain pieces. And then I decided to do a straight reread of Sansa's chapters, following along with the Pawn to Player reread project, which is really just very insightful um and that i completely fell in love with her character she's in my opinion a literary infj like asami sato i know that myers-briggs is bullshit but i kind of i kind of like looking at her with that lens and i just was so compelled by her resistance narrative and her the way her mind is always worrying and all that so yeah it it really that's when you know i began to realize hey there's a lot to this book series maybe i should do a full reread and I did. And then you did an Ariana reread, and the rest is history. <laughs> well, no. First, you and I be, were idiots in a dorm forum for <laughs> how long? But yeah, you're right. Awesome. <clears throat> you're right. Anyway, uh, we have uh, a, a few episodes that are about book characters. Uh, you know, we had like a Jamie and Brienne episode. We had a Cersei mm-hmm. episode. And what we did for the Cersei episode was we first just kind of talked very high level about who this character is. So, S- Sansa- who is this character, Kylie? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, she's the point of view with the third most number of chapters. She's tied with John in that regard. Only yeah. Arya and Tyrion have both of them beat. So we'd hope you'd know who she is. Well, she's the uh, eldest daughter and second child of uh, Ned Stark and Catelyn Tully. Mm-hmm. And at the time of the beginning of the series, that would have made her fourth in line for Winterfell, right? Because male preference, primogeniture is stupid. Uh, yes, yes, yes. At the beginning of the series, yes. Yeah. Um, and what she begins the series when she's 11 years old, I want to say? Yes, she does. Or is she uh, already she, 12? No, I, I'm 
Oh, God. Because I know she's 12 in The Clash of Kings. Yeah. This is, you know, I think it's 11 because I think it's 298, technically, yeah. in Game of Thrones. But yeah, she's she's a youngin. She's a preteen. Yes. <laughs> that's the important part. And yeah, that's, you know, her station. She uh, was brought up in the north. Yes, and- but she was brought up, um, like, you can tell she was brought up with the specific idea that she would end themselves. Yeah. Um, like, even if they didn't have very many, like, concrete ideas about how that would happen. Yeah, she was specifically groomed, I guess, might be a harsh word, but it's true mm-hmm. to, to be buying into this sort of power structure in the way that, you know, marriages work in Westeros to have alliances and whatnot. Um, she was also raised with both religions, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so she, she, you know, there's the northern religions with uh, basically the weirwoods, and then uh, she's had a septa who is really helpful. yeah and like she says she says that like you know she always kind of favored her mother's religion she was growing up things like that so it was definitely something she was exposed to and educated in yeah um and we we normally would go through chapters and say what happens but we know what happens when we try to do that so instead we just want to quickly take you through the events of her books and to let you guys know we are going to be talking about her winds of winter sample chapter but we're not going to talk about that until the very end of the episode so if you are spoiler phobic in any way about that don't worry we'll give you plenty of warning when that comes up okay so uh, one of the one of the first things that happens in a game of thrones is that sansa is uh betrothed to joffrey yes uh, well, two things kind of happened really before we meet her. She's betrothed to Joffrey just because, like, their dads are like, yeah, we should do that. And <laughs> um, she gets this direwolf pup who she names Lady. And she trains her really well. Yeah, like, Lady is a super well-behaved vicious predator. Yeah, it's a little terrifying. She, like, waits patiently for scops from the table. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, she can take your arm off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so with this betrothal that she's going to be engaged to the prince, obviously he's the firstborn, uh, and that means she would become the queen of Westeros when he mm-hmm. comes into the throne. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal, kind of a politically important position. Mm-hmm. And, and- uh, you know, even though I, I don't want to talk about the show, but... It has sort of ingrained some bizarre ideas in people about this narrative. Like, Kat wanted this for Sansa, and she wanted Ned to be going south, you know? Yeah. Sansa also very much wanted this, uh, and she was excited about the prospect of, you know, buying into the institution that she'd been trained to, and also yeah. like, the this highest- is, This is, like, yeah, this is, like, the, the highest achievement a woman could achieve, basically, in this society. Like, marry the king. That's just, like, that's it. Unless we want to talk about those wacky Dornish, but no one ever does. <laughs> no, I never does. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she was... She yeah, was, it was so it was so bizarre, actually, like, in the show where, like, Sansa's like, I want to marry him and I want to have his babies, and, like, Kat rolls her eyes, and you're like, what? Wait, wait, she's gonna have, like, princes! Like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Um... But like Kat does like kind of think about that to herself just so like this is this is supposed to be all that you want for your children in the kind of way that you tell she's trying to convince herself as much. Oh as yeah. I, I mean obviously she yeah. she would miss her daughters, she has her worries, yeah. like she she's not, you know, blindly devoted to this. But uh Jennifer Eel wouldn't have rolled her eyes, I don't think. <laughs> no, Jennifer Eel would have been perfect in every way. Because she's uh, a bookstop. Yeah. Um, Hashtag bookstop Jennifer Eel. What we know about Sansa at at Winterfell and, and what her upbringing was like, you know, she was very into sort of quote-unquote feminine coded activities, just for lack of a better yeah, word. Like, she was, And she was very good at them, too. Like, yeah. Like, you know, needlework especially and music and 
poetry and things like that. Yeah, you could tell she not not necessarily a perfectionist, but you could tell that she just like really worked at the stuff too and enjoyed these crafts and yeah, especially singing and like entertaining and dancing. Uh, we learned that she taught John how to dance at one point. Aww. Um, yeah, I know she does call him her half brother, and a lot of people are like, "Oh my god, that bitch!" But like, <laughs> he's her guys. He's her half brother. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you for that. <laughs> For what we can tell, she was perfectly warm. Yeah, to there's him. no they they don't really like talk about the relationship very much at all. Like that particular relationship isn't really fleshed out very well in the books. No, but um, there's absolutely no indication they're antagonistic in it. God no, no. Uh, and she and Arya don't get along. And you know uh, that you know a, a, another group of the fandom will be like, oh my god, that bitch. But um, hi. Oh I, my god, sisters within the- two years of each other not getting along. I know, I was the precocious tomboy little sister who didn't get along with my perfectionist harp-playing older sister. Like, (laughs) weirder things have happened, and now she and I are, like, best friends. Oh, it's totally fine. So, um, there's just this, there's just this idea to kind of be like, oh my god, she was so horrible with her useless skills. It's like, no, she was, like, a little kid who enjoyed the stuff that she had, which which happened to be conventional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's... Yeah, and I think it's pretty badass that an 11-year-old can make her own clothes. Saying, Yeah, seriously. Empowered women, so. I don't care. Anyway, uh, they set out. You guys probably remember the events on the way down to King's Landing. Basically, Ned enlists Septa Mordain to watch his two daughters. Like, that's it. It's just the two daughters and Septa Mordain. Yeah. And she keeps fucking off and getting drunk. So... <laughs> It leaves these girls alone a whole lot. I don't know why this is their only retinue, but okay, like, fine. I mean, and, neglect or uh, first volume weirdness? I, I think it's pick. I think it's more that than neglect, than purposeful yeah. neglect, is, is my guess. I think Martin didn't really get the grasp of how, you know, compared to Marjorie and how guarded her hymen is. Like, yeah. Which was also, I'm sure, a bit more purposeful, but I think, like, Martin was still finding his, you know, legs in this world. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there is uh, something called King's Road Gate. You want to explain that? The drunken date? Yeah. Um, well, because Septa Mordain is the worst, like, caregiver ever in the history of the universe, she just, like, lets Santa go off riding with Joffrey one day. Oh and Joffrey, because he's a complete dipshit, he, like, commandeers some wine and some food at some random peasant's hut. And so, and, like, Sansa's not used to drinking at all, so, like, she has a little bit of wine, and they get a little bit of drunk. They get a little bit of drunk, Kylie. And, a little bit of drunk, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they run into Arya playing with her buddy, Micah the Butcher's Boy. They're just, like, playing at swords. Like, you know how little kids play with play at swords with sticks? Yeah, I but, used to do that all the time. Yeah, Joffrey, because he's a complete dipshit, like, decides to, like, wave his little prince penis at this poor kid. Yeah. And Arya starts defending him. And it turns into, like, a scuffle where, like, Arya's wolf, Nymeria, ends up, like, biting Joffrey on the arm. Quite seriously. Like, it's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, quite seriously. Like, he's gonna have scars. <laughs> and Sansa is, like, horrified first that Joffrey is hurt because, like, she cares, she cares about him, like, you know, like she's supposed to. And second, that, like, Arya made her look stupid in front of the prince, but, like... Not in the dismissive way of making it sound like it's perfectly reasonable because yeah, I mean, again, she was raised to, for this, and, so yeah, this is and a fucking he's going prince. to be the king and have like right, you know, yeah. it's kind of important that he like her, you know. Yeah. 
But this is also the moment where she kind of has that first flash of like Joffrey isn't a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Because like she's, she's trying not a to nice help. Guy. Yeah, well she's she's like trying to help him and be like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry, look at you, oh my god, ah and he's just like, Get the fuck away from me. Right. So th- um, this becomes a whole yeah. thing where basically Arya and Jory throw rocks at her wolf until Nymeria runs away because they know the wolf would get killed. Yeah. Uh the wolf that maimed the prince. Um so then like Cersei like gets Arya dragged before the King fucking Robert, like in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Like, terror. Yeah, a castle dairy to be like, answer for this. And, and Ned is like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Anyway, Santa ends up coming in to be the star witness for what happens. Yeah. And, um, she says that basically, like, she pleads the fifth, basically. She says she doesn't remember what happened because it was also confusing. It was confusing, but it also is a lie. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's also the only way to be preserving this alliance that's rather important. Yeah, and like, she's just like, yeah, like what was she supposed to have done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like we wouldn't give Sansa nearly as much like credit for this if it wasn't for the fandom that I like surrounding this. Like, that's definitely true. Yeah, like this is this is like the unforgivable sin in the fandom mm-hmm. <laughs> that she would. How could she lie? It's like, okay, what did you want her to fucking do? Which, yeah, which is something like one thing that the show actually did well is that they had Ned explain this to Arya. At one point, they were just like, you know, she was there. Yeah, like, what did you want her to do? Tell the king that, you know, the crown prince was a a liar. Well, not crown prince, but what is he? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He's the heir to the throne. Like, like, basically call out the family that she's going to be married into. Yeah, I didn't know if he was technically crowned because he's not of age yet. But yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, anyway, okay. So they go down to King's Landing with, like, that unpleasantness between her and Arya. Oh, and her wolf dies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Cersei, who is also, like, you know, dick, um, basically says, well, you know, we don't have Nymeria, but we have this other direwolf, so it's totally reasonable that I demand that that other direwolf be killed. And Sansa is just, like, this affects her very, very deeply, and, like, kind of, like, not only just, like, losing this wolf who's, like, you know, very important to her, but also just kind of, like, the injustice of it. Yeah, I mean, this affected me fucking deeply. Yeah. Like, Lady didn't do shit. But, like, the thing, like, she doesn't know how to deal with it because it doesn't, like, mesh with her worldview at this point. Like, mm-hmm. so she's just, like, it's Arya's fault. It's Arya's fault. And that's, like, kind of what she clings to in that moment. And for a bit, into into the rest of uh, Game of Thrones, I yeah. would say, she kind of has that mindset. So, like, when she's down in King's Landing, basically, she and her sister aren't getting along. Ned is, like, bumbling around doing Ned things. Uh, Joffrey is still, like, being a shit because he's embarrassed, basically, that someone saw him get bitten by a wolf. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of, like, a bit overwhelmed when she first gets there. Like, her friend Jane Poole cheers her up a little bit, I guess, because yeah. they can go to tourneys together. But then there's, like, this creepy fucking asshole who's saying how much he looks like her mother and how into her mother he was. And you're like, um, can you back off? Uh, yeah, like, Septa, who's supposed to be there protecting her, she's like, oh, this guy's important. Let's let him talk. Right, and then, and then Septa fucking Mordain keeps getting drunk. She goes to a feast and needs to be escorted home by this heart, like, this terrifying knight with a burned face who's like, oh, I'm gonna murder my brother. Like, how is this gonna go? He's for not a, fucking- a knight, though. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, whatever. But, like, how's this going to go for an 11-year-old? Seriously. Anyway, so, like, the kind of, like, important thing that happens to her is this tourney that is uh, thrown for Ned, even though that's the last thing he wants and costs way too much money. And um, she's, like, she's, like, you know, like, she's kind of just, like, oh, a tournament, and I'm a lady in this court, and I'm going to love this tournament. It's going to be great. And, like, like, you know, she enjoys it. She sees this guy, like, get killed right in front of her. And 
then there, there's that feast where Septimore Dane gets drunk, and then Joffrey is, like, kind of, like, randomly nice to her that day. But then he's not so nice that he actually takes her poem. He gets Sandor Clegane to do it, and Sandor kind of, like, ejaculates his backstory at her. Like, he tells her, because he's drunk too, right? So Sandor tells her all about how he got his scars and everything, and she's, like, <laughs> she, like, immediately, like, just feels a lot of empathy for him. Yeah, she actually, like, wants to reach out, and she's no longer scared for herself. She's scared for him, which is yeah. a telling change, and very telling yeah. in the sense of his personality. Yeah, and the next day, like, she's cheering for him and the tourney. He actually ends up winning the tourney. Which is and... so funny, because that's from Ned's point of view, and he's like, oh, this is weird of her. <laughs> and does she does she kind of, like, fall in love with Lancel here, too? Yeah, I mean, he's, like, you know, the chivalrous idea, I, ideal. I think she's as in love with him as, like, anyone else would reasonably be. Yeah, she's, like, like, like a, how an ugly world would, like, put posters of, like, One Direction all over mm-hmm. her room, like, that kind of in love with him. Mm-hmm. Very normal stuff. Very normal stuff. It's kind of important to remember for later that she kind of idealized Loras Tyrell, right? Yeah. Um, and so while this shit is going, while this is going on, like all that shit with Ned is going on with like, you know, him trying to be Hand of the King and kind of not, that's not working out so well. But none of this is really like understood by Sansa. Well, I mean, Ned's not exactly explaining himself. Nobody's explaining himself. Just like, yeah, the political situation isn't in any way like explained to her. Like, even though... Yeah, like, even just little things, like, he might not trust, you know, the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. Specific. Like, like, not that you... Like, how do you explain this? What do you do in his position? I'm sympathetic to Ned not explaining it. Yeah, especially since, like, you know, he betrothed her to this family, like... Ned is just walking a fine line, and he has mm-hmm. his own personal baggage that is making him walk this not particularly well. Yeah. So what ends up happening, and this is complicated, but I really don't want to stay too long on these recaps, is that basically Ned gives Cersei an ultimatum because he finds out about the incest and that Joffrey's illegitimate. And he wants, he doesn't want the kids to get murdered because he has a hang-up about About murdered murdered children. Wow, what a weirdo. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So he tells Cersei to run and she ends up like seizing power. Mm-hmm. instead because but it's important um she's able to do this because robert sansa. dies well robert dies but also because of sansa mm-hmm. yeah because sansa basically ned tells his girls he gives them no information he says we're going back to winterfell now yeah and i think joffrey had like been vaguely nice to her once yeah in between this but he just says we're going and packing up and you know she sees this sort of ideal vision for her life she doesn't understand what it is so what she does is she runs and tells cersei don't let him send us back like they're basically just like she basically tells cersei that ned is like cutting and running like he's leaving but then he does he can't leave because robert dies but whatever um yeah but but he's like yeah this also gives cersei a hostage basically yeah so she she tries to seize Arya, and she's like basically like you know seizes sansa it's also important to know that after Sansa does this, she and Jane Poole, like, feel naughty, quote-unquote. Like, they just did something like... They're, like, they're little kids. They're not... She's not grasping the reality of what she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she thought she was defying her father so that she could stay betrothed to the prince. She yeah, wasn't- like, like this is, this is, this is like, the level of, like, you know, your mom says you can't go to the sleepover, so you go ask your dad if you can go to the sleepover. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, it's that kind of level. It's not like, oh, I'm going to undermine the political position of my family. Like... And there's no way <sighs> anyone... 
even not an 11 year old, but anyone with the uh, amount of information she had could reasonably see the outcome of events that would have mm-hmm. led to Ned being fucked over. Like, no, she didn't have any information. And again, we give her so much slack because the fandom is so fucking horrible to her. Yeah. Like, if, if the whole, like, lady thing, like, is the unforgivable sin, this is even more so. Like, everything that happened to the Starks is Sansa's fault. She's horrible. Mm-hmm. Except, uh, the show blames Catelyn. So. Um, so, while her father is imprisoned and accused of treason, uh, Sansa kind of, she puts on this entire kind of piece of performance, like political performance art, mm-hmm. where she goes and formally begs the king for forgiveness on behalf of her father, right? Joffrey now, yeah. Yeah, that Joffrey's the king now. And, like, it's all like, when you think about it, like, just like, like, you know, forget Sophie Turner for a minute and remember, this is an 11 year old girl. Like, she's in grade six, mm-hmm. you know? And she goes in front of the entire court, like, everyone is watching her, and she goes, like, on her knees, and she says, like, you know, please have mercy on my father, he didn't know what he was doing, like, you know, blah, 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 and Joffrey is all like, I'm a kid, yes, this is so convincing. And there's another piece of political theater planned where uh, Ned is going to confess his guilt, and, and be sent to the knife. So, yeah, be sent to the knife. And like, not only is she pulling off this performance, mm-hmm. she's like analyzing the situation. There's like a part where she's like, "Oh, he's in a good mood." Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's the scene. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, so she's like, "Oh, good, he'll play the gallant role." And it's like, "God damn, you're a fucking sixth grader thinking about this stuff." Yeah, it's just so probably fucked up. Um, hopefully we're not shocking you. The Ned taking the black thing doesn't go so well because Joffrey's in a power hungry mood that day i guess yeah and like and, little finger talked him into it because little finger's also a dick and he cuts off ned's head yeah sans is right there she and is. She, yeah she's like uh her next chapter begins when she's just like you know like this is kind of traumatic for her so like she spends a few days just kind of crying in bed and joffrey because he's a dipshit like comes to her room and like orders her out of bed and has, like, one of the king's guard like, whack her across the face when she's just like, uh, you just killed my father, I'm a little upset. And he orders her to come to court, basically. And so she does that. She gets out of bed, she puts some powder on her face to hide the giant bruise, and she dresses up in pretty clothing, and she goes to court. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And she listens... <laughs> this is the scene where where they they're like sending all the ravens to all the people who haven't pledged fealty yet, and they yeah. they tell Doran and all his sons. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is probably just like first adaptation weirdness, but I enjoy it so much. Um, and so then Joffrey, because he's in a dipshit mood. Um, decides that he's going to go on another date with his betrothed because he's still betrothed to her at this point. And he takes her up to the battlements and basically shows her the heads of all the people that she grew up with, including her father. Ned, Septa, uh, Mordain. I think Jory is up there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's mentioned. But I don't know. I thought. Um, but this is really the beginning of her resistance narrative. Oh, Jane Poole also disappeared and she doesn't know where. Yes. And she she specifically asks Cersei, like, where the fuck is my BFF? Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of, like, gets the vibe that the answer isn't good. And then she stops thinking about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and, here, here's what really bothers us 
And especially in light of what the show did with Sansa's character. Like, how do you, even just looking at a Game of Thrones, how do you read a character like that and be like, oh, she's so weak and useless? Like, are you fucking kidding? I mean, like, the more, like, this conversation just now is just like, yeah, this this kid is kind of incredible. Yeah. And so that like that that's moving into a Clash of Kings now. Mm-hmm. As Julia said, her resistance narrative began, and that's exactly what a Clash of Kings is. It's this performance of maidenhood and courtly like courtliness. Yeah, and she also she also has a bit of that like, you know, like I Claudius kind of thing where she's pretending to be a lot more stupid than she is, like mm-hmm. so people don't pay attention to her so she can fly under the radar. Yeah, which actually Danny does too, but that's mm-hmm. to like He's up on negotiations. Way. Yeah. Um, so in A Clash of Kings, basically what's happening is that Joffrey and her brother are in open war, mm-hmm. but she's a hostage in King's Landing. Well, basically a hostage. She's still technically betrothed to Joffrey for more or less the entirety of the book. And she has to outwardly, like, profess her loyalty to him and, like, repudiate her brother and her mother and the rest of her family. And it's... There's she has this, to send them letters too, right? Yeah, that, that was in uh, that was in the Game of Thrones. She had yeah. she sent them a letter. She sent Rob a letter saying that like you know you should surrender, pledge fealty to the king, everything will be great, and and they kind of saw right through it. It's like Cersei's yeah. making her do this. Um, but Clash of Kings is also about like her kind of sexual awakening as well, as much as it is about any plot things going on. Yeah, well, she's a developing girl. Mm-hmm. She turns 12. She gets her, and almost 13. She gets her period uh, towards the end, but she gets her period. Yeah, um, she, she has her period during Blackwater, right? Yeah, and the whole thing with the period, too, by the way, it means she is fertile. Yeah, and she can she, get married. And start having babies. This would still be young, even for Westeros standards, but it means that it's... I mean, like, in this context, they would probably try to get them married right away, just because, like... Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just basically means she can't hide anymore. Um, You know, she faces a lot of abuse. She's pretty much... Emotional abuse, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty much ignored by, like, everyone except Sir Dantos, uh, who is this guy that she saves is he's a drunken knight and she saves him by convincing Joffrey to make him into a fool basically yeah. and Sandor Clegane also pays her a good amount of attention um yeah, protective attention mostly protective attention and she kind of like he kind of creeps on her too but he definitely creeps on her and I mean we'll talk about Sansa more specifically later yeah but it, there's this one moment where he's like look at me or whatever and she's just like Okay, she kind of looks at him and she's like, you know, it's not that bad if he could just, like, chill the fuck out. <laughs> like, she just kind of has this, like, weird moment of being a little bit, like, done with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate. Um, But yeah, you know, there's the, the Blackwater scene and stuff like that with them, and we, we can get into that more later. But it's it's protective, slightly sexual attention. Um, yeah. She's kind of... Um, also interesting in this book is her relationship with Cersei. Yes. Like, it's kind of this, like, perverted mentor-mentee relationship. But she also, like, rejects Cersei's No, exactly. Like, that's why it's it's perverted. But, like, Cersei is dismissive and abusive of her, but at the same time, like, every once in a while, she's just like, you know, sit down on my lap, Sansa. I will dispense my womanly wisdom onto you. And Sansa, like, uh, absolutely doesn't listen to what, like, she'll hear what Cersei says, but then in her head she'll be like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, like Cersei's always like talking about, oh, you know, your best weapon's in between your legs, and like, 
you have to make everyone fear you. And she's like, no, if I'm queen, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make them love me. Yeah. She um, goes through a traumatic experience during the riots. Um, oh, yeah. She, in the city. She almost gets raped and Sandor. Uh, well, no, her. she doesn't really okay. almost get raped. She almost gets pulled off a horse. I mean, oh, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. That's the show. Wow. Yeah. Lawless gets raped. Gets gang raped. I mean, the implications definitely there, but. Um, it could have been very bad, but Sandor. Yeah. Uh, saves her. Yeah. To. She's um, a little traumatized by, like, everyone hating her. Yeah, because she's connected with Joffrey, basically. And wanting to just, like, do her a lot of harm. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much a, a Clash of Kings at the very end. The, yeah, the at the very end, the Tyrells come in, and her betrothal to Joffrey is broken, and it's, like, the happiest moment of her life, basically. Yeah. Um, And, like, it's quite a reversal from, like, where she started in her relationship with Joffrey, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and moving into Storm of Swords, that's the big, like, event that, like, changed everything. The Tyrells coming in, basically, they, like, also come in. Uh, if you've seen Harry Potter 4, the movie, when the <laughs> Bobaton girls come running in and they're just, like, releasing butterflies everywhere, mm-hmm. that's a little bit what it feels like for Sansa's point of view from the Tyrells coming in, because they bring that courtliness, they bring all the food, they have the huge, huge gaggle of ladies that come in. Yeah. Um... So she makes some good fake friends with them. She does. <laughs> They're a little bit fair weather. They try to set her up with... Well, her friend... Like, the friendship on her part is genuine. Uh, oh, on her part. Yeah. Because yeah. she, she's just, like, thinking about how nice it is to have the companionship of other, like, women. And they give her lemon cakes and they tell yeah. her that, like, she's safe from anything. That, like, she can say anything she wants about Joffrey to them. And she basically is looking out for Marjorie. She thinks Marjorie is so nice. So she tells her like, he's a monster and Marjorie and the grandma are like, all right, whatever. We're planning on killing him anyway. Uh, It's a secret. Yeah. It's, it's a really safely guarded secret. And then what ends up happening, basically, uh, Sansa's hymen gets traded around as a baseball card a little bit. Yeah. Well, because the Tyrells kind of, uh, hatched this plot to marry her to the Tyrell heir Willis, basically so they can land grab the entire North. Basically, because um, it's obvious that Rob is gonna die. Yeah, he's like doomed. Like, I mean, he's doing very well, like on paper in this war, but it's kind of like there's really no sustainability for it, you know, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, and um, <coughs> when the Lannisters catch wind of that, because Dantos is a spy for Littlefinger. Ooh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and Dantos is the one like she has a continued relationship with him into this book, and he says that like eventually I'm gonna get you out of here. You just have to be patient and keep your head down. Um. So the Lannisters find out about this marriage, and so they quit very yeah. quickly, and basically without telling her until, like, five seconds before, oh, marry God, her. Oh, fucking horrible. No, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like an upsetting scene to read, really. Uh, they marry her to Tyrion. Yep. She has no say in it. Um, yep. No, like, 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 Cersei she- says she's gonna get her a new dress. And then she comes in and puts this new dress on her, and Sansa's, like, enjoying how twirly it is. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, you're going to get married, like, now. Yeah. Does yeah. It, does Tyrion talk to her beforehand? Um, yeah, like, um, yeah. basically outside the Sept, he says, like, wow, this must suck for you. If you really, really want, maybe I can get them to marry you to Lancel instead, is what he says. And she's just like, you were vaguely nice to me once, when you wouldn't let somebody strip me naked in public. So it doesn't really make a difference to me. So whatever. (laughs) One Lannister is much the same as the other. And now because she has no say in this, she's a political prisoner and her internal resistance narrative is still going on. Mm -hmm. She doesn't kneel for Tyrion. She doesn't let him put on that wedding dress because... Well, she just kind of like has this moment where she's standing up there and like Joffrey's laughing at her and she's like, 
being married to, like, yeah, yeah, she's being married to this man she doesn't know who she has no reason to like, and yeah, he's not physically attractive, okay? Let's get that out there. And (laughs) And certainly not to her, yeah. Yeah, and she's just like, like, you know, all my life I've dreamed about, like, wedding to a perfect night, and... I, like, you know, I, I always imagined this moment would be like this, and that one would be like that, and I wanted to be like this, and just, like, she just has this moment where she's like, this isn't fucking fair, I hate this. And so she's just like, no, I'm not gonna engage in this stupid, like, symbol and of I, patriarchal she division. Says, she, she even thinks, like, why should I spare his feelings when no yeah. one has given any thoughts to mine? Because, yeah, it's embarrassing for Tyrion that she's acting this way at his wedding, right? Like, yeah, fair enough. But... Why do his feelings get prioritized over her being a literal fucking prisoner? <laughs> like, yeah, and just and engaging in this ceremony that will allow her to be legally raped. Like, she's goddamn 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So, yeah, no, they get married, uh, and she actually feels bad about not kneeling, too. Because yeah, so she, she does kneel in, like, um, a subsequent part of the ceremony. Like, when they kiss, right? Then she does kneel then. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion decides not to rape her on their wedding night. That's nice. He's so cool. He's such cool. a great guy. I mean, he, like, pokes at her boobs first. but If okay. only she would appreciate him. Yeah. So <sighs> she has a forced marriage to Tyrion, and basically mm. she just puts on... She she He says, I'm not going to touch you unless you're okay with it. She's like, what if I'm never okay with it? Because she doesn't want him. Yeah. And he's like, uh, okay. And That's like, how this is going to go. <laughs> okay. Tyrion fans aren't going to be happy with us, but basically what he does is he spends the entire marriage just, like, throwing himself a pity party about how she doesn't instantly fall in love with him for some reason or something, right? Yeah. And, like, uh, oh, this is the wife they gave to him. You could have done- you didn't have to fucking do this, dude. I mean, like, that's discussion we can have at some other point, but we've, I we've definitely agree with- We've had this discussion extensively, yeah. but I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. The 12-year-old, like, fucking prisoner bride isn't working out for you. Yeah. It's just and, really hard for me to conjure up any sympathy given those power Well, dynamics. she spends this entire marriage just kind of being, like, very closed off cool. from him. Like, feeling feeling very, very isolated within She puts marriage. up walls. Yeah. Yeah, and now, like, she doesn't really have access to, like, the things that were making her happy before. Like, you know, the Tyrells. Because they dropped her like a hot potato. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the, at the wedding, they, like, won't even talk to her. They're just, yeah. like, shake their heads and they're like, oh, yeah. well, you're poison now. <laughs> yeah, so she's just basically, like... I don't know what she does all day, like, for this, like, like, what, like, how, like, there's, like, two or three months in between these two weddings, right? She sews, she prays in the godswood. Yeah, she prays a lot in the godswood. She, like, she, she takes talks lots to, of baths, right? She talks to Dantos a bunch. Yeah, so she's, she's just, depressed. Like, I yeah, mean, of course she's depressed. Um, so then, um, right before uh, what will be called subsequently the Purple Wedding, Marjorie and uh, Joffrey's wedding, Dantos is basically like, okay, it's time. At, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the wedding, you're going to escape. Um, my friend is going to take you home, I think he says. And then he gives her this hairnet. Actually, he gives her this hairnet at the end of A Clash of Kings, which yeah, really confuses right. me timeline-wise. But we'll mention it now. He gives her a hairnet that has a bunch of amethysts in it, right? That are poisoned. <laughs> yeah, well, spoilers. And he says, the most important thing is that you wear this hairnet to the wedding. Because it's yeah. lucky and magic or some bullshit, but... He's yeah, very the t- insistent. The, the you wear is kind of yeah. crazy sauce here, but yeah. sure. We've talked about it before, I think, so. Um, yeah, and then there's like, don't get us started on the conspiracy theorists who are like, it wasn't really the hairnet. Like, no, guys. It was the hairnet. It was but, the hairnet. Like, like, his main point is you must wear this hairnet to the wedding. So she does, because she's nice. And um, I love- compliments. She even compliments Tyrion's handsome doublet when they go yeah. there. Yeah, and he's just like, Psh, whatever. She's making fun of me. No, she's just being nice. Um, but, um, I don't, I love, I love these wedding chapters so much. Like, Oberyn oh, is God. there, and Alette is there, 
And like wait, Sansa's wait, just kind of wait, wait, does Alaria have a thousand brothers and sisters? <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Kylie. Anyway, um so during this wedding feast, she's like just there and really distracted and Tyrion thinks it's all about him, of course. And um God. So, so then when Joffrey basically starts dying, she's just like, I guess that's my cue to leave. And so, she's kind of like a little in shock. Mm-hmm. She like realizes she's laughing, but she's not even happy about it. It's really strange. Yeah, and, she, and she tells herself off for feeling sorry for this thirteen year old boy dying. And yeah, because she's like, you should hate him. You should want to. You should have wanted this. Yeah. So she runs to the godswoods where she had prepared, like you know, like a stash of clothes and stuff to escape. Mm-hmm. And Dantos meets her, and they like climb these terrifying stairs to go meet a boat uh, that takes them to a ship where Littlefinger is. Oh, there's a twist. Oh, that dude that was creeping on me when I was 11. Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he kills Dantos kind of in cold blood right there and tells her basically that this was entirely his doing. He's the one who got her out of King's Landing and now he's going to take her home. And he also somehow perfectly framed Tyrion because he knew exactly how everyone was going to behave at every point during the Purple Wedding. Yes. Okay, dude. <laughs> I, I like to think that he had an idea that it, this could have, like, set up something, but he didn't... It worked so much better than he realized it would have. Yeah, well, like, it's not like all these things had to happen perfectly. Like, there was a lot of different ways... No, literally all that had to happen... Like, Sansa's hairnet was the failsafe for the Tyrells in case yeah. they needed a scapegoat. Yeah. So, and then, um... I mean, like, it was entirely possible that people would just believe the story that he choked on a piece of pie, you know? Absolutely, which is, I think, what they mm-hmm. wanted to have happen. It was only yeah. Cersei who began saying he was poisoned because of Tyrion, because she's yeah. Cersei. But anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. They go to the Eerie, right? Yes. No, well, first they go to uh, the Fingers, but well, yeah. that's not, okay. yeah, yeah. Not really They important. travel to the yeah. Eerie, and she tells her that she has to pretend she's Elaine Stone, because, haha, Sansa Stark is wanted for murder. Whoops. Whoops. We'll pretend so, that I didn't do that on purpose to make you emotionally dependent on me. I'll pretend I had a bastard daughter this whole time. Yeah. Which is like a normal enough thing that everyone buys that. And um, uh, little she, dies, is... she dyes her hair brown before yeah. she goes to the Eerie. Yes. Not like and... last minute after like millions and millions of people have seen her. <laughs> yeah, that would have been really weird of her to do. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, Littlefinger is also married to her aunt Lysa, Catelyn's sister. Yeah. So she's like, oh, yay, family. Like, my mom's dead. Oh, yeah, her mom her mom and brother are dead at this point. Yes. Well, whoops, we forgot to mention that. But basically, she's just grieving for them. That's why she's in her depression, taking a lot of baths. And Tyrion's like, why won't she talk to me? <laughs> your, your family just murdered hers. How did she think this was going to go? Uh, Lysa's kind of terrible. Yeah, and she's... Like, well, Lysa is not well, basically, at this point. Like, no. she's obsessed with Littlefinger. Um, she killed her husband for him because he asked her to. Um, she's been in love with her, him for years, and he just kind of, like, at this point, he's basically using her. Um, and she's also been through a lot of shit. Yeah. And she did kind of rape him. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, they they have a history, is our point. Um. Rape by deception is rape. Yes. And Sansa is just equally miserable in the Eyrie as she was in King's Landing, and Lysa starts talking about how she's going to marry her son. Yes, and, who is yeah. this little snot-nosed shit-face Robert. Well, and he's, he's, just, he's like literally like seven years old at this point, and he's like really sick. And He's very sickly. And he's he's spoiled as fuck. Yeah. Um. So, like, one day it snows, and she's like, you know what, can I just be a fucking normal kid? I'm gonna build a goddamn snow castle, and screw all of this. She's what, like 13? 
Not even. Not even. Th- is she? Yeah, no, she's still just 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she builds a snow castle and tries to, like, rebuild Winterfell. Because she's like, this reminds me of happy things. And then fucking shithead comes over to it and is like, I'm gonna... Well, he, I mean, he's a seven-year-old. I'm gonna be a seven-year-old. No, and- you kind of forgot the most important part. <laughs> Littlefinger coming over first. I'm pretty sure Robert comes over first. No, they're building it. And he's being creepy, and then Robert comes out, and he's just like, "What you doing?" And he starts like doing the thing with the, with the doll, and he knocks shit over, and then Sansa rips the head off the doll, then she puts the head on a spike. <laughs> oh God, yeah, you're right. Oh my God, and yeah. Then and then yeah, but they they like he he helps her figure out how to make the greenhouse and stuff like that. Remember? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because they they like really go into detail in this. Yeah. It, this is like an entire fucking construction project at this point. Yeah. And they make it huge, but yeah, little. Uh, Littlefinger was being so helpful for no reason other than how helpful Well, it's, he it's is. so, like, it's so fucking creepy because it's like, it has this entire, like, paternal thing where he's, like, you know, helping her build a castle out of the snow and being all, like, you know, just, like, playing with a kid, basically. And then it takes this, like, creepy sexual turn. Yep. Where he, like, kisses her. And she's not too comfy with that. No, and she's just, like... What the fuck are you doing? And, and he's like, she says, oh, I'm like, kissing, you should... I'm kissing I'm... a snow maid. That's what he says. And she's just like, what the fuck? First of all, you're married to my aunt. And yeah, she <laughs> says, you should be kissing her. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> and then, like, poor little, like, poop face Robert comes out and just makes her <laughs> angry because he's just a stupid, spoiled kid. Yeah. And she ends up, like, ripping his doll or something stupid like that. It's like, it's, it's really stupid. And she's she just really, like, yeah. And she's just, like, angry at this point because, like, everybody's, like, playing baseball cards with her vagina and nobody cares about her feelings. And she's, like, far, far away from home and she can ne- she knows she can never get it back because half of her family is dead. And, like, and, the family like, that's alive apparently hates her. Because yeah, and she's just, thing. like, like there's this whole thing where she, like, takes the head of the doll and she, like, like just, like, puts it on a spike and rams the spike into the ground. You know, and she's like, I don't like that, that kind of like image of her doing that is, has always been very kind of like visceral to me. Cause it's just, it's just like, you know, I had a fucking enough of this bullshit. But uh, the bullshit's not over because then Lysa drags her into like threaten her. Basically. Yeah. She drags her into like the like audience chamber of the errands and, and she like drags her. Towards- well, she thinks, she thinks that Lysa's going to yell at her for like yelling at Robin, basically. I think she like hits Robin, right? No, 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 no. That's just the show. That's just the no, show. She, she just ruined his doll. No. Uh, um, and, but Lysa no, that, is actually why, that's there. That's why there are all those memes surrounding that where it's like, talk shit, get hit. Uh, well, Lysa is actually there to yell at her for, like, kissing, kissing her husband. And she's just like, oh, you slut, you stole my boyfriend. And it's just like, like, no, your boyfriend assaulted me. Yeah, she's like, I didn't want this. Yeah. But obviously, Lysa is a little, like, past Unhinged. reason. Yeah. She drags Sansa towards the moon door, which is not a circular hole in the floor, but it's, it's like actually a door like in the a wall. door. <laughs> a mean, door in the wall. Of all the changes they made, that's the least important one. I mean, like, it works. Like, no, I know. I'm just works. trying to paint fine. the picture. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what ends up happening is, is, um, Littlefinger pushes uh, Littlefinger, like, walk, Yeah, like, he walks in, and he's just like, what the fuck is going on? Why are you, like, dangling your niece off of a ledge? <laughs> and, and, Slash my love interest. Yeah, and <laughs> she's just like, you know, like, why do you love her and not me? Like, my life sucks. And he's just like, don't worry about it, Lysa. I've only ever loved one person, and it's not you. And then he pushes her off the ledge. Romance. Oh, sister. 
Romance. And then he's like, oh, the bard did it. Okay. Yeah, So he, and he blames, like, the random loot player that's there. Who also almost raped Sansa. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Gosh, she really can't catch a fucking break. Anyway, so that takes us to A Feast for Crows, which we, if you listen to our Feast Dance uh, Defense episode, mm-hmm. we talk about Sansa's plotline a bit there. So j- just to go fast, she's still being Elaine Stone. She's basically yeah. running the fucking Eerie. Yeah, and, like, running the household and, you know, being in charge of Aaron and uh, Robert Aaron and his education and... Yeah, like she's like she's like the lady of the castle at this point. Yeah, now this whole thing with Lysa's death is like the maester. The maester point uh, like reports to her. Yeah, I know it's kind <laughs> of awesome. like a thirteen year old girl. Yeah, but uh, so so the whole thing with Lysa's death is very very suspicious mm-hmm. because and the Lord suddenly the Lord Paramount of the Vale and uh, he's also Heron Hall. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like he's just collecting all this power. So the Vale Lords are like, we uh, are suspicious. Yeah. So, um, he basically is, like, preparing Sansa for this whole, like, you've got to charm the Vale Lords and tell tell it like it is and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And she does. She does. Like, she does. It's like another performance. She plays the part well, and mm-hmm. they very much like her uh, yeah. for it. She, she, she's still Elaine Stone, as far as anyone knows. Yeah, I mean, but, like, um, some readers, um, ourselves included, at least to some extent, think that the Vare Lord Seif threw her disguise pretty easily. Oh god, they all do. Yeah, that's not really confirmed one way or the other in the text at this point. But it's not really veiled. I think it's Lady uh, Wainwood who's like, she talks about how she's like gently bred or something. It's like, why Why would you know how his bastard was bred? I don't think you Well, you can tell from the way she speaks and acts. Gently raised. I I guess. But still. Like, they seem very suspicious. And, like, the fact that, like, they don't, like, completely, like, um, balk at the proposed marriage with Harry the Heir is kind of, yeah, suggestive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's the thing. Like, I, I do, yeah. Littlefinger has a surprise for, uh, Sansa. Also, he keeps kissing her, and she's like, oh, God. Yeah. Well, but he's all just, like, because he's, like, pretending to be her father, so he's always just, like, you know, kiss your father goodnight, and isn't the favor I gave you worth a kiss? And it's just, oh it's, my so God, it's so fucking creepy. Disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um. He's basically grooming her. Mm-hmm. And... So then, um, there's this whole thing where they have to move castles, and like, well, 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 first he tells her that he has negotiated a proposal where she's going to marry Harry the heir. Yeah. Who's like basically John Aaron's heir. It's not worth getting into why. He's, he's like John Aaron's like third cousin once removed or something like that, but he's the next male heir after The, the former Aaron. college roommate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, he basically says to, to Sansa, you're gonna marry this guy who's the, like, heir to the Vale. Mm-hmm. Ro- Robert's really sickly. He's gonna die. And then. I'm possibly one- poisoning him. Yes. <laughs> and you're possibly shutting this out of your mind. Yeah. And then once you're in this seat, we're going to take Winterfell back. And like you'll you'll at your wedding you'll tell everyone your sense of Stark. Yeah, you'll come out in like a Stark maiden's cloak and all that stuff. So yeah, so yeah, winter co- winter's coming. They have to move out of the Eyrie and they have to go down. Yeah, get down the mountain. Yeah, and just like uh, not much happened. Like she makes a new BFF, um, Miranda Royce, who I think is less two faced than Marjorie, but that's not saying much. That's not saying much at all. Miranda, I mean, Julia just like loves Miranda Royce. So. I mean, like she's kind of like me. I know. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a weird hybrid between Ariane and Randa Rice, <laughs> but my boobs my boobs aren't as giant anymore. And Maya Stone is like y'all are weird. Yeah, like I I used to have Miranda Royce boobs, but now I don't. She Sad did, face. and 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 has killed a couple men in, during sex. So. Yeah, well, I don't like to it brag was, about it. It was disconcerting. <laughs> 
It's like nothing of significance happens, but basically, like you could just see the way that Sansa has developed, mm-hmm. and she's just so, she's very intuitive, and she uses that intuition and her empathetic connections with others to be able to like get them to do what she needs them to do. Mm-hmm. So she coaxes Robert, who's just this fucking horrible kid, across a bridge when like Maya Stone can't do that, and she just she's really just coming into her own and finding her voice as it's a leader, but mm-hmm. it's using like it's very Catelyn like. Like when we yes. talked about patriarchy brain, the way that like Catelyn exercises power within the system. It's very much like that. But it also seems like Sansa buys into the system a lot less at this point. Yeah, well, she's kind Which... of like, um, one of the like things that you really notice at the end of this chapter when, uh, Littlefinger is all like, I have a proposal for you, um, is like- she gets a panic attack. Uh, yeah, like her reaction is like, it's a panic attack, but it's also just like, enough with the fucking trading my hymen already. You know, she's just, like, she's so sick of this, and she just, like, wants people to leave her alone and not use her all the time. And, yeah. I mean, I, we, we'll talk about it a little bit when we talk about the what, what's a Winter Sample chapter, right? Like, yes, which we'll talk about at the her very, kind of very end. Develop, which, like, what I, I kind of think is, is going to be one of the really big kind of overarching themes of her plotline. We'll talk about it then. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of the Feast for Crows. She doesn't have any Dance for Dragon chapters. Yeah, it only took us an hour to get through what she did. But honestly, like considering how much of an important protagonist she is, mm-hmm. that's not really that shocking. And this covered a lot of ground. So like we want to just talk about sort of the central themes, the central tensions of her plotline a bit. Um, so the first thing we wanted to open with, because this is the question that comes up with Sansa a lot, this came up on our last open inbox hour. It's basically everyone talks about her. Is she a Stark or more of a Stark or more of a Tully? She lost Lady. Mm-hmm. You know, and that what has does to that, mean something. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And basically, what's her identity now? She's living as Elaine Stone. It doesn't seem like she's forgetting who she is. No, definitely to, not. I mean, she's definitely not like... Not to the same extent. I, not that Arya has really forgotten who she is either, but like you could at least. Well, Arya, like you know, like Arya's at the point where like like we talk about how uh, Lady Wainwright was just like you know she, she's gently bred. She can tell by the way that like Arya, uh, the way that Sansa acts and speaks mm-hmm. and all that stuff that like you know she's she's like a highborn, educated uh, like lady. Mm-hmm. But like Arya, she tries to sell a horse in a village. And, like, the stable master is just like, like, I can tell you're not the kind of person who would have a horse. Obviously, this horse is stolen. You know, like. Right, 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 right. So, like, in terms of identity, like, there's so much, there's so much that Sansa kind of still, like, there's still kind of, like, the scaffold of the experience that she grew up in. Yeah, but it's to a different effect. And, you know, the the quote, the one quote that everyone who likes Sansa's character, myself included, Mm -hmm. will trot out is, my skin has turned from porcelain to ivory to steel. And she's in the system. This is still her skill set. This is her arena where she would navigate, just like Kat. Yes. But, and more successfully than Ned, because she doesn't have, like, personal hangups. She's still alive, so she's more successful than Ned, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But... Like, the wool has been pulled from her eyes, and she just has this sort of, not cynicism, but maybe to a degree. Yeah, cynicism, actually. Oh, well, maybe that is the word I'm she, she shed a lot of idealization. Yeah. Now, in, in a lot of ways, she does have pretty good parallels with her father, mm-hmm. in terms of her honor code, a bit. And sort of that, like, northern, just kind of like northern badassness. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, northern thinking tends to be a little bit black and white. Mm-hmm. 
she sees nuances, I would yeah, say. Yeah, well, like, the same way that Ned does. Like, Ned has a very kind of, like, defined sense of right and wrong. And it's, like, it's, it's kind of like an id and superego thing, you know? Like, his superego is all like, this is right, this is wrong, and... But he's, he still has that kind of, like, idish like, sense mm-hmm. of that nuance. And I think, I think... And Seth when you're in a situation, idea. yeah, like, when you're in that situation, like Ned was, where he was basically presented with the two bad options, and he was like, I have to choose this, even though it means that for the rest of my life, I have to do something that I think is wrong, because I know right. that it's right to make this choice, you know, like, she gets that kind of nuance, but that, that super ego, like, right-wrong thing is still always there. Yeah, she's got that too. And what's interesting about Sansa is that I think she's, she's more successful than Ned. She has more tools at her disposal in some ways. A, because she doesn't have very personal guilt hanging her up about things. But B, it's it's like, she sort of sees a third option in a lot of cases that yeah. I think he didn't. And I think that comes a bit from Kat. Because Kat was always about, like, soothing the egos of others, but she didn't necessarily Soothing the egos have of Maddie, you mean. Of every- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Sansa's able to sort of do that as well. So I think she really is, like, a perfect combination of her parents. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. And and Kat and Sansa really immaculately parallel each other in, in terms of their thinking space. Uh their patriarchy brain too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a we'll talk about Sansa and womanhood a little bit more yeah, they, in depth. They, they both have kind of like Alyssa's Tears kind of themes going on. Mm-hmm. Even though exactly. when, when Sansa is at the Eerie Alyssa's tears are frozen. But it's not like you don't see the northern influence and you don't see mm-hmm. Ned's in influence on Sansa, because you do. And and there's that weird there's that weird part where she's coming down the eerie and she hears like a ghost wolf howling or something like that. Yeah. So she's obviously not very out of touch with her starkness. And yeah. what was her instinct when she in the snow was to build rebuild Winterfell, right? Yeah. Like that doesn't come from nowhere. And like her telliness is like what is that based on exactly? Like to say that she's more tully. Like she looks tully. Um and I think it's because she's girly, honestly, sometimes people just like get this idea about northern women because of Liana. Hmm. Really? No, like, I think that's what it is. I, I don't think it's very useful, necessarily. Like, you can say that my father and I parallel each other more closely than I do to my mother. But what is that? What is that? What's the use? I was raised by both of them, you know? I know, but you're not a literary character. <laughs> I know. Um, but, like, in terms of the tragic similarities she has between her parents, I could see both of them in this. Uh, and interestingly, I think they both play into her relationship with Littlefinger. Okay. Right? Explain. Okay. Yeah. So her mom and Littlefinger have that history where the mom was just basically like completely not interested, but then trusts him. Yeah. Right? And that kind of dooms her family a little bit accidentally. Like there's no, there's no way Kat would have known that her Peter's a shit, but she doesn't really have that. Maybe Santa has better attuned intuition than her mom. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So she kind of has the wool pulled over her eyes about Peter. At the same time, so did Ned, because yeah. Peter was, like, you know, leading him along. Sansa's in a very similar position where she is both sort of being used politically and also being creeped on. Mm-hmm. But unlike both of her parents, I think she has a handle on it a little bit more. She's certainly creeped out by him. Yeah. Well, she has She's- more experience at this point. Like, mm-hmm. her mother lived, like, a very sheltered life before she was married. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she had maybe, like, more theoretical knowledge of the way that women could exercise power. Mm-hmm. And Ned is just, like, Ned. <laughs> but, you know, Sansa, she did have these formative years in King's Landing. And she is so good at this point, too, at closing off her feelings to, mm-hmm. like, others, I mean. And to hiding and to, like, 
basically just fly under anyone's radar. Yeah. If she wants. So, like, Ned, I'm pretty sure, kind of wore his his Ned's expressions on his face, with the exception of, like, John. Well, like, we know how hard that was for him. Yeah. It, like, tore him up, Mm -hmm. you know? He probably had, like, big guilty Ned eyes, but, like, no one knew what it meant. (laughs) Well, they thought it was because he was so guilty, felt guilty for, like, having sex once. (laughs) Catelyn would sort of put on a mask Mm -hmm. a little more readily, so, like, you know, I can't chastise Rob in front of these men, it was all about soothing men's egos every, yeah. every second. Oh, yeah. I know. But <laughs> in terms of tragic parallels, I guess, because Martin is all about his tragic parallels, right? Mm-hmm. I think I see both in this case, obviously. Yes. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think Arya, you see both also. Yeah. And Arya paralleling to Sansa as well. Yeah. We should talk about that, actually, because, like, if... if We've already kind of this, touched on it. Um, we we did, but, but you know, people say, like, oh, Sansa's less of a Stark or whatever because she doesn't have her wolf. But at the same time, she and her sister are, like, going through the same plot line. <laughs> Basically. I mean, they're kind of both in kind of an apprenticeship situation now that's concerning mm-hmm. in terms of the direction it's going in. Um, they're both very... Yep. They're very, very far from home. And the, the whole thing about, like hiding their name from like mm-hmm. from as much from themselves as from everybody else like like Arya's basically being brainwashed by a weird cult and Sansa, Sansa is trying to become Elaine Stone. Yeah, she's just like, you know, I have to be Elaine all the time or I'll let something slip and she still lets stuff slip, but we'll talk about that. Um <laughs> Okay, she's not perfect. No. But like she has the whole thing and it's just like, you know, like not she's not just pretending to be Elaine Stone. Like she is Elaine Stone and she's she's like very concerned about that. Do you think Miranda Royce picked up on the John? Um, yeah, well, people seem to think that's, like, the point of that conversation, right? Uh, I think there's more point to it than that, but, like, that's well, obviously, a feature. Yeah, yeah the, the other thing with, um, obviously Sansa and Arya are honing very different skills, but mm-hmm. they are honing their skills. Like, this is, they're sort of in training montages, actually, right now, <laughs> when you think about it. But, you know, they, they have, like, similar instincts. They both get an option to take a fake name, mm-hmm. and they both immediately say cat. Yeah. Well, only one of only them are- is, yeah, allowed to keep it, but... Yeah, but because the kindly man is like, oh, good, there's lots of cats here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, dude. Um, Yeah, just, like, little things like that. And... You know, there's every indication that they still know exactly who they are, but it's certainly calling into question what does that mean, and what does it mean when they assert their Stark identity, and when they assert who they are. Yeah, like, the series is only, like, two-thirds over, so... And you know, Arya's got that... are allowed to not be answered yet. Arya's got that intractable moral code, too. Mm Mm-hmm. She does. Which is why she murders the singer. Yes. As weird as that sounds. (laughs) Also, good boots are hard to come by. Exactly. (laughs) Um... But yeah, no, they, they they both have that, now that I think about it. Which is pretty cool. Alright, let's talk about Sansa and womanhood. Well, there's a reason why an entire book is centered around her period. <laughs> this is kind of an important theme for her. Ah, uh, yeah, just a bit. Yeah. So, in the Patriarchy Brain episode, we talked about her a bit. Mm-hmm. We talked about Kat a lot more. Yes, because Kat is the most Patriarchy Brain character ever in the history of the universe. Kat defines Patriarchy Brain. Yeah, like, literally. Like, we, mm, we coined the- that term to describe her in the way she thinks. And heiress, to a degree. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Barristan, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, 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 you're right. Um, yeah, the thing is, like, you do see the way patriarchy and those upbringings inform Sansa. And you, what, what's cool is that the first three books, you see her challenging it. Mm-hmm. Because she's kind of learning, like, everything I've been taught, well, that's not really lining up to how it is. 
Yes. So part of that is certainly her view of knighthood, right? And chivalry. Because it's like, the super chivalrous dudes are fucking terrible. I mean, like, basically, like, the entire first book is about this in a way. Like, not just the chivalrous dudes, but also, like, you know, the concept of, like, a tournament. Like, she says afterwards, it was the most magical time of my life. But, like, you can tell, like, in the moment, she's just like, this isn't the way I thought it would be. Because, like, you know, like, um, Sir Hugh of the Vale gets, like, killed right in front of her. And she was just like, and, and the mountain is fucking awful. Uh, yeah. And, and just, like, the whole thing, like, um, it's not really, um, it doesn't really pay off in this moment. But there's, she, she weaves this entire fantasy about Loris and how he gives her, like, a white rose instead of a red one. Or is it the other way around? And, I don't remember. And he, and she's all just like, oh, like, you know, he's totally hitting on me, basically. And, like, it doesn't really pay off until, like, a storm of swords that he's just, like, like, he didn't even remember her. Yeah. And it was just, she like, a could, thing that happened. She could happened. tell. She could tell. Yeah, it was just, like, a thing that happened. And, like, even, like, even, like, you know, the fact that, like, you know, Loris is, like, gay and not even remotely interested in, like, anything to do with this, like, courtly love fantasy. And, yeah. and it was all, like, fake, you know? Um... You know, also fuck the Tyrells. <laughs> also, yeah. I mean, Loris, Garland, Loris is the one Garland that was is nice probably, with... like, deserves at the least of all of them, but yeah, fuck the Tyrells. Yeah, I mean, Garland was vaguely nice to Sansa for, like, three seconds, but that also could have been because it's like, haha, we're using you for murder. <laughs> Whoops. He's the hot um, one, I like him. I would yeah, totally so do it, Garland Tyrell. When it comes to specifically, like, women's place, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like she's necessarily questioning, should men be ruling? Yeah. But it's more that she's finding herself in these situations where she's just taking control of them and she's eliciting change just kind of instinctively. Like Yeah, like uh, the whole thing with Dantos at the beginning. I was of, yeah, I yeah. was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then of course at the Eerie, she's literally running everything. Yes. And the Maester is just like, um, Lady Elaine, what should I do? <laughs> it's kinda like that episode of Gilmore Girls where when, uh Rory is like running the community service. Right. And the supervisor is just like, so what's the plan now? And we said, we said this in Patriarchy Brain, but Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't want to pretend that Kat was like this big stupid head for not challenging the system. It's just Sansa has a much more traumatic experience that she's been through that would make her inherently be like, this might be bullshit. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the system, the system for Kat like screwed her over, but it also worked exactly the way it was supposed to work. Yes. Yes, that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah, and, like, Sansa was just, like, you know, I was the perfect, you know, maiden. I was, like, so into the idea. Like, I would have been the best wife Joffrey ever had, but I still got fucked over, you know. And so, like, the system failed her in a way it never failed Kat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh I think... I think Sansa is also just going to be in more of a position to be challenging it. Like, you know, basically Kat still ended up just like getting shunted into a marriage. And yeah. She made, she made it work for her. No, but made- like, like that's what was supposed to happen. She's supposed to be shunted into a marriage to make an alliance and win a war and then have babies. Right. You know, th- and that's what happened. Right. Right. Exactly. But like, but like for Sansa, you know, I guess mostly because she's not married yet and because her hymen is, you know, a very valuable baseball card mm-hmm. and, she, like people are looking for lamination for it and all that, so you know she she has the leeway to like I don't know elicit something. I mean, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the wind sample chapter uh, at the end, but it's just kind of exciting to watch how she develops. She also, as Julia said, is sexually developing. Yeah, um, she's having sexy dreams, isn't she? <laughs> she is about Sandra Clegane. Yeah. So, do we want to tackle that? No, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> 
So we need to talk about Santa. Um, okay, so, uh, this is dangerous territory. Be careful what the fuck you're saying, Joya. No, I'm not gonna be careful what the fuck I'm saying because we're like drawing a line in the sand. I don't know what we're doing, but like we basically decided that we don't care what we say about Sansa because. Okay, okay. Just mile high first, let's just quickly introduce Sansa is the most popular ship, as far as I know, mm-hmm. in the maybe tied with Jamie and Brienne in the A Song of Ice and Fire fandom. Yes, I I, I know Jonsa has gotten popular recently. I know Arya and Gendry is also pos- popular. We're not gonna Jonsa. I I don't even know what to do with that. We're not gonna touch those. Um, for Sansa, and if you do the the Sansa Stark uh, reread project, it, the 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 Ponta Player reread project, if you look at the literature, there's a lot talked about with the way mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast as a theme is played with for Sansa specifically. Uh, this is actually something that also rears its head for Brain- Jamie and Brienne. There's um, just that general narrative with Sandor. It is this. He's not a knight. I apologize for saying that earlier. He's <laughs> a fighter who doesn't want to be a knight. Yes. Uh, He's very traumatized. He's very much in a beastly on the outside to everyone else. And also he's just kind of like this. He's he's just he's not in a healthy mindset in a Game of Thrones. Like all he wants to do is kill his brother. But he know, he can't he know he can't kill his brother. Right. Yes. So like, um, he, you know, people prejudge him for the scar. He also seems to legit enjoy violence. He does. And Sansa sort of has an effect on him. I think it's fair to say when through their engagements when he's basically either trying to terrify her or, like, vomit emotions onto her. Or, like, goes into a room specifically in order to rape her and then gets cold feet, for example. Yeah, that that was pleasant. That was a, that was really pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of is able to be like, he's got a lot of anger yeah. issues, but maybe if you're nice to him and listen, like, this this is, this is just what well, I'm going to do. The thing is, she is sexually attracted to him. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. She is sexually attracted to him. And he's and, sexually uh, attracted to her. Yeah, so anyway, they, they kind of meet in this sort of fucking horrible situation where he is 28 and she's 12 also. I feel like that needs to yes, be... Yes, it needs to be repeatedly stated. Yes. Repeatedly stated. They have this... They, they sort of attract each other in a very broken kind of way just by the position that they're in. Then they go... They just go. They know. They never kiss. She sings for him. Yeah. She sings a mother's hymn. There's a lot of people well, who wrote about this. He uh, has a knife at her throat. Well, you know, there's some people that say he came there as a grand romantic gesture, Julia, not to rape her. But no, yeah, he, 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 like, he pulls the knife on her. He and says, says for her that to sing he it. did it to rape her, and he's confused as to why he didn't do it. Yeah, but you know, yeah. can we really take his words at face value? He was trying to goad Arya, so. <sighs> Okay, I mean, we say that kind of shit about Ariane sometimes, so, okay, maybe I'll let that go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they, they go on their merry way. Sandor basically interacts with Arya a lot, and we see him mm-hmm. becoming, not increasingly romantic, but maybe slightly more, uh, uh, kind of, slightly more, ide- like, idealistic-ish. Ish. Um, and he still talks about Sansa a lot. Yeah. Too. And you're like, that's creepy. But okay. Uh, Sansa goes on her way and she thinks about like, oh, I kissed the hound. Yeah. Yes, I kissed the hound. And then she has like a sex dream, basically. Yeah. Where I think Tyrion, it starts out with Tyrion, but it like morphs into Sandor. Yeah. So she has a sex dream about him. It's just not that. Okay. She's, you know, a 13 year old kid having a sex dream. I had a, my first sex dream was about Natalie Portman. So <laughs> I don't remember yeah, what my first session was. Probably on the Oh, she you you remember you remember in Attack of the Clones the way her hair like fell when she just woken up? 
she comes out and and she's like, "You had a bad dream." Do you like? And her hair is just like fucking gorgeous. Uh huh. Yeah, it was like that. Natalie Portman. The Natalie Portman who spent three hours in makeup. Yeah. Yeah. No, not the one with the like one bun connected on the top. I don't know what was going on. Like, <laughs> but yeah. Uh. So that's 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 the relationship of Sansa and Sandor. There's every indication that Sandor is alive on the Quiet Isle, recovering mm-hmm. and taking a vow of silence. And that's that. Yeah. Um, like we said, she's clearly sexually attracted. Like, yeah, like, this is her sexual yeah. awakening, and he's, like, the object of it. And uh-huh. he's, like, this man shouldn't be in a relationship with anyone. Definitely not a 12-year-old girl. Um, nope. <laughs> but, like, he's clearly, like, he's clearly, like, attracted to her, and he clearly has, like, actual, like, human feelings there's, for her. There's this one, like, gross part mm-hmm. where she's running and he catches her on the steps and he's like, oh, you're almost a woman. You got and boobies And he's, like, now. giving her the up and down. He's like, your boobs are a little small. It's like, um, can you not tell fast? Well, he's drunk. Like, he's, well, Yeah, okay, that's nice. Um... I get drunk, I don't creep on 12-year-old boys, and I'm 28, so... We don't like Sansan. Well, it's not that we don't like Sansan. We kind of don't like what Sansan has become in the dialogue. We just don't view it as particularly healthy. Yeah, and... Honestly. We don't think it's supposed to be viewed as healthy in the text. No, it's it's just become very, very romanticized in mm. our view in, in the fandom. I think that's the best way I can put, can put it. And, um... It's not that I don't understand the appeal of Beauty and the Beast. I don't understand the appeal of Beauty and the Beast, but I can yeah. see that other people do. Because it's been a thing for several hundred years now. <laughs> well, there's feminist reclamations mm-hmm. of the Beauty and the Beast narrative where it's all about the female assertion of sexual agency. And, and that's definitely defi- what this is about, for sure. That's definitely not what the scene was when he had the knife to her throat, because no. she, like... But at this point, yeah, because she is also developing sexually, this is definitely her sort of reclamation. Especially well, like the whole thing, like, yeah. Of- well, the whole thing is like, like she has this idealized image of like you know the print, like what her like her Catelyn life is supposed to be like. Basically, like, you know, she has the man that she marries and she loves him because that's what you do when you get married and you have the babies mm-hmm. and you have this perfect mm-hmm. life. And that kind of all fell apart with him, and she she found it like you know like that. That, like, you know, her perfect prince that she's supposed to be sexually attracted to was, like, a monster, basically. But then there's this other guy who's supposed to be a monster who's, like, everything she's not supposed to be attracted to. And there she is being attracted to him. And that's, that is her assertion of her sexual agency. And I think a lot of that, too, is that he was real with her. Yeah. About how shitty, how fucking shitty everything is. She's like, I find this refreshing. (laughs) But I mean, honestly, my favorite scene between them has to be the scene before the Battle of Blackwater when he's just like, rah, 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 I'm, "I'm being Sandor," and she's just like, "Yeah, you know what, dude? Like, okay, your bone is sticking out. Like, this is not that bad. Just stop being so fucking angry all the time." Yeah, I just I fucking love that scene. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I actually don't understand Beauty and the Beast. I mean, like, we don't have to be in- like, I don't understand the appeal of roasted red peppers either. People Have you ever had roasted love them. hummus? Yes. Like, if you disguise it well enough, it's just like, like, if you put it on a sandwich with, like, other roasted vegetables, like, it makes me gag. But that doesn't yeah, mean that... Right. You know, it, yeah. it just doesn't really justify itself in in, in, in the bu- ubiquity that we see it in, in our culinary, uh... <laughs> no, like, I guess as an assertion of sexual agency where you're picking the unconventional love interest that you're not supposed to like... 
there yeah. is an appeal. Yeah. No, it's just like I find Jamie and Brianna immensely more appealing. Um, I just like I don't know how to say this, and I'm not sure how many followers we'll lose if we do. Julia, what what are you doing? I don't think this story is how he's going to like swoop in and save her at the end. I don't think that's the story. I think that would be very tropetastic. I would be surprised if this was Beauty and the Beast played straight here. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'd be disappointed. Yeah. I would. I think I'd be really disappointed if they ended up together. I'd be disappointed if he leaves the Quiet Isle, to be perfectly honest. Because, like, in terms of his own arc, as much as a non-POV character can have an arc, like... He's at the end. That's, yeah, that's... Yeah, like... Anything that has him has him leaving that situation would be like look look. I say this having not. I know there was a Sandor reread project which I did not actually read, mm-hmm. um, and I just didn't have a chance to get to it. So perhaps there's like some takeaway out of that that would convince me otherwise, and I'm I'm open to that possibility. It's just as I see it now, and as I've considered the character, it feels like a good end note for him because it's like not. his defining characteristic was just like how angry and full of hatred he was, mm-hmm. and he's in a place where he can work on that. <laughs> Sansa's still developing sexually mm-hmm. as a character. I think um, maybe... And there's whatever. no reason to think that, like, she'll have finished that process when the series is over. You know, like, she'll still no. be very young. No, 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 no. And, you know, I, I'm sure her experience in King's Landing and sort of Sandor becoming this object of her desire will be a role. Mm-hmm. But will it be a necessarily romantic, conventionally romantic role? I don't see that. No, like I think so much. I think their relationship. This is the oh, Julia. This is the most prediction that we've ever done. It really is. And no, just like, but like the point I think we're trying to make is that I think their relationship has like served the function it's supposed to serve in both of their arcs. And there might yeah. there might yeah. still be like you know more material based on it to come, like more implications. Like she'll think about it more. You know, like she'll she'll probably compare all men to him for the rest of her life because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of what that experience is in your psyche. But yeah, like yeah, and like obviously we need people to agree with us. Showing like drawing fan art of their babies, please. Yeah, yeah. Like obviously we know people disagree with mm-hmm. us, and we're perfectly comfortable being wrong. And yeah. this honestly might be a place where we're predicting based on what we want to happen. It could be, but it's just I don't think it was ever supposed to come across as this like earnestly romantic, healthy. I mean, definitely not. It can't be healthy. It's not healthy. <laughs> but like just just the ages at play alone. Like mm-hmm. I don't think we were ever meant to take this at face value and be like, yeah. Okay. Especially because of the fact that like a Clash of Kings was written in like nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. We're comfortable knowing that we could have egg on our face with this. I just really yeah. don't want egg on my face with this. Um, You know, we were going to talk about Sansa as a player, but I actually think we need to get into the Winds of Winter material because it's kind of like, how can we talk about that without talking about where she actually is? You know? Yeah. Um. So in the Winds of Winter spoiler chapter, she is at the Gates of the Moon, right? That's the castle. Lane one. Yeah. Correct. That's the castle kind of at the base of the mountain where the Eyrie is, where the Aarons always spend the winter. And um, she still has this persona as Elaine Stone, but she's actually like wielding kind of political power within the Vale right now because um, it was apparently her idea to hold this big tournament for like all the knights in the Vale to like set up this new order of chivalry would basically the point of it is to kind of reassert 
like the loyalty of the railroads kind of around Robert Aaron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was to coalesce power. Yes, sort of yes, that's the term I was looking for. <laughs> and um, her fake father, Littlefinger, has uh, gotten her this betrothal to Harry the heir. And he's going to be there, and she's going to meet him, and she's all excited about it. And then she meets him, and he's kind of a, dip- a dillweed. Yeah, he's a dillweed, basically. And he's all just like, ooh, why would I want to hang out with Littlefinger's bastard? And um, she, like... She she gets upset at first, yeah. but then ba- basically Julia wrote this uh, analysis on it, and I'll link it. But yeah. she, for a second, she's like, "Oh my god, he doesn't like me." But then instead of being like, "It's my fault," like she was with Joffrey, she was just kind of like, "He doesn't like me, and he's an ass." Yeah, which doesn't sound like an improvement, and but it is. It's like extremely. It's the most significant thing ever, actually. <laughs> yeah, it kind of like makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, um. Towards, like, the end of the chapter, she's basically just, like, manipulating him with her womanly wiles. Um, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. She was, like, flirting and good at it. Yeah, and, like, talking about his illegitimate children and things like that. And, he's just, and making like, fun yeah. of him because his girlfriend has a stripper's name. Yeah. <laughs> Saffron. Um, <laughs> but, well, what I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but just, like, uh, I think one of the big, like, overarching themes of Sansa's arc is this kind of re-evaluation of, like, victimhood, I suppose you can uh-huh. say. Um, like, she's learning basically to not blame herself for being victimized. Which is breaking out of patriarchy brain, as we exactly. were talking about a little, um, a little before, yeah. Because, like, you had the drunken date in, uh, in A Game of Thrones, where she's in this mindset where it's entirely her responsibility to establish this relationship with Joffrey. And it's entirely her responsibility to keep him happy at all times, right? Like, she has she has to be pleasing is the term that she uses. Um, and when that doesn't work out, when, you know, she ends up in a situation where she's being, like, physically abused by him, um, it's always, her mindset is always like, this is how I have to behave so I don't get victimized. You know, I have to look beautiful. Joffrey likes it when I look beautiful. He likes it when I smile. And, like, you know... Uh, I got punched in the face yesterday by the King's Guard, and that was my fault because I said something snarky. Um, but like, but, but by the time you get to this situation, the Winds of Winter, which is very closely like parallel to the Drunken Date, and you know, and he starts treating her terribly, like like you said, uh, when Harry the Air starts treating her terribly, she's just like, well, he's just kind of like disinterested, yeah. and rude, and dismissive, and yeah. and he's, he's he's not like he's not Joffrey. No, he's not not, not at this point anyway. Um, he's an arrogant shit. Yeah, and she's just like. It's not because I did something wrong. It's because he's a shit. Like, um, she's away from the mindset that, like, everything, that the, like, the responsibility for the health of this relationship is all on her, and it's all about the man's needs, right? And she's also... That's huge. That's, that's and she's huge. also, like, away from this idea that, like, if she is victimized, it's because she did something wrong. Mm-hmm. The thing, the thing about Sansa's sample chapter, mm-hmm. um... Well, well, it, it, okay. First of all, this is the sample chapter where uh, Elio said, "Like it'd be shocking to some parts of the fandom," and everyone's like, "Oh my god! Like, what's the shocking part?" He all he meant was that she doesn't think about Sandor. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he was he was talking about the sand sands. That's what he was talking about. Yeah. But um, yeah. There, there Elio is Garcia. a concerning what Elio Garcia? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes the uh, person who runs Westeros.org. Yeah, and. Uh, 
the the thing with this chapter that people do get a little concerned about is that like, hey, is Sansa willingly participating in Robert's murder? Yeah, <laughs> and she might be. Like, like, how much under Littlefinger's thumb mm-hmm. is she? You know. And I read a piece on this. I, I, I caught it like Sansa's quote unquote like Stockholm syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, basically about literary Stockholm, and that I was like worried. Is it going in this direction? I I, I don't know. Um, not to start a Sansa panic, but <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But, you know, basically, I think she does have the skill set to be seeing this for the bullshit it is. She's certainly going along with Littlefinger's plan right now. It behooves her to be going along with this plan. But like Julie and I talked about, she has that staunch moral code. Mm-hmm. And there's really no reason to believe it's been compromised. What's going on with Robert, I might chalk up to a little bit of the case of what happened with Jane Poole. Yeah. Where she just doesn't want to think about it. I mean, she's still a very, like, young, disempowered kid. Yeah, she's she's eking out as much agency as mm-hmm. she possibly can. She's, like, wringing the towel out. But it's a concerning path. However, I think it's supposed to be a concerning path. And I would be floored if Sansa's narrative was like, ha ha, she got fooled. Now she's evil or, like, I don't know, got fucked over by Littlefinger. Or all those creepy uh, forum posters that are like, oh, she's gonna get raped by him. No question. <sighs> Lovely. Yeah. So, and you, by the way, you know if that happens, which I would be Again, very floored. But if that happens, you know, people would be like, oh, see, the show is fine. That's <laughs> what they did. Because a rape's a rape. Yeah, of course. Interchangeable. But no, like, I, I don't like predicting. I do think that's not going to happen, though, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. if I had to guess. So as a player, I think what's cool about Sansa is the skills that she possesses. Yeah. Um, that's what I find the most exciting. You know, she's a political player, basically. Uh, and yeah, it's intuition and empathy, man. And I think because she's such a good person, just staunchly good, like there will be a comeuppance for Littlefinger. I I don't see how her arc could be set up where that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, the whole Robert milk thing. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's not a good taste in my mouth. No. So, I don't know. I mean, that kid is, yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe he'll like be very Barton-esque and he'll outlive everybody, but... (laughs) Like Frey, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really can't wait to get back into Sansa's chapters. I'm like yeah, so excited for sure. to be back in her head. That's one of the ones. Uh, is there any closing thoughts that you have on Sansa? Um, no. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you'll have some searing insight because you always have searing insight about Sansa. No pressure. What the fuck? <laughs> What would my searing insight be? I mean, I think we covered it pretty yeah, well. Yeah, we did. I mean, um, like we said, we've been talking for an hour and a half. What, what do you want me to conclude with? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, did you have any closing? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, there, there's nothing more I can say. I really love her. Mm-hmm. I do recommend giving her chapters a reread straight through. Yeah. I think she's one of those characters that's incredibly rewarding for that. Yeah, I think, like, especially her- um, what deserves a reread is her relationship with Tyrion. Because... Yeah, you, um, you should reread his chapters, too. When yeah, like, because I, I think that, like, the default... The default for a lot of readers is to kind of see things from his point of view um, mm-hmm. and try to look at that book, at, at like that book and that relationship from her point of view a little bit. I think I'd that, say yeah. those two point of views, mm-hmm. rereading those is the most eye-opening experience. Yeah. Because like Sansa for me was always fine, but then you go back and reread and you're like, oh my God, this person's a badass. <laughs> With Tyrion, when you first read through, you're kind of like, oh, it's the protagonist, Tyrion. He's fucking awesome. Yeah. And he he will make sure to remind you how awesome he is. And then you get to you get to a dance of dragons. You're like, oh, that was weird of him. I didn't like that. But you don't think about it much. If you go back and you reread Tyrion, you're like, oh my god, this man is emotionally exhausting. 
And like, because basically you know what's going to happen, so you're able to Mm -hmm. kind of view him more objectively and see his own POV biases. And he's fascinating. He's a really fascinating character. I'd love to do a Tyrion podcast at some point, but um, he's not meant to just be this like unproblematic fave. And I think especially the show has its handprint here with how people view Tyrion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Because, you know, there he's perfect. He's like a literal Mary Sue. So. Yeah. Yeah. Reread Sansa. uh, God, I fucking love her Storm of Swords chapters. Yeah. They're some of the finest. What what is your favorite Sansa chapter after Curiosity? Is it the Snowcastle? I think it's the Purple Wedding one. It's so good. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a reason the Snow Castle stands out as being such an important chapter. Yeah, and I also like the one where, uh, before the Blackwater, where she goes to the Sept. Yes, yes. That's the, that's the one I was talking about where uh, she runs into Sandor. Yes. I think, yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. The the Snow the snow cha- Castle chapter, though, it's one of those classic Martin chapters with the, like, very lyrical quality to it that Julia and I always are into. Yes. And- you know, you really just, you get the sense, the tonal sense uh, as it builds where, you know, it starts out something paternal with Littlefinger and then like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, that chapter is one hell of a ride and kind of disturbing in a good way. Uh, yeah. So on that note, uh, that was our Sansa podcast. I think the runner up was Quentin. Yeah. So Sir Mud, Prince Mud, we have, oh, he's the reason we have the theme song we have. Yes. Because <laughs> we you gotta link that video. <laughs> I haven't watched that video uh, in so long. But yeah, we found a video uh, of Quentin uh, dancing with some girls. <laughs> <laughs> it's Quentin and Eunice Ironwood and then the, uh, who are those other The uh, Drinkwater Twins. The Drinkwater Twins. Yep. Yeah, we found a video of him dancing with them. Yes. To the Saltarello <laughs> playing and that's, and then we just kept finding the Saltarello theme. We're like, look, it's Quentin's theme. And uh, it became its own fucking animal. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, so that, that might be next. Um. Uh, we'll we'll see because if Gretchen's available, we might I don't know try to knock out Stannis. I don't know. Oh God, we can do it. We can do it, Julie. We're pros. We are pros. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, check out thefandamentals.com for our commentary uh, as Game of Thrones is ramping up. There's sure to be more trailers to analyze, and uh, I don't fucking know. But uh, obviously, we'll be covering it. Yeah, we'll be here in this feed. Uh, check out our store where we have our dramatically satisfying merchandise. So I guess I want to. I want to make just like a regular tank top that has our salt shaker fundamentals logo on it. I really like that one. I buy just that. Be salty with us. Work yeah, out with yeah, it, yeah. so I can talk to people at the gym about the show more. Yeah, and we do have uh our logo, our unabashed book snobbery logo, available mm-hmm. as t-shirts also and mugs. And I think I think that's it. I need to like work on our store, but yeah, visit that if you like what we talked about. Uh, drop us a review on iTunes or whatever tool you use to listen to podcasts or recommend us to friends who have read A Song of Ice and Fire or who just want to know why the show's poop. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's about it. So thank you so much for listening to us and we will talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Goodbye. I care about you. Oh, that's really, that's the nicest thing you've ever said. I don't want to be the Rebecca in this relationship. (sighs)
Well, babe, I don't really know how to put this to you, but I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely Paula. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I try to be Heather, but I'm not cool enough to put drugs in the water supply, so. I mean, I'd rather be the Rebecca than the Valencia, I guess. Well, Valencia's the czar of torture, though. That's true, she is. <laughs> czar of torture. <laughs> All right, let, let's talk about Sansa. All right. 